Good morning. Welcome to Fathom Church. If this is your first time here, we just hope it's an amazing experience for you. We say whether it's your first time or your last time, we hope it's an amazing time. And we pray that, that you're not only encouraged to grow in your faith, but you have this real sense of community and family that Fathom Church, and we really believe the church as a whole is all about, uh, that, that God's put us here together for each other, for each other's good. And uh, so we just want to work together, just become more like Christ. That's what we're all about here. And uh, if you've been with us for the past series, we're really excited about today because we're just going to wrap up, kind of tie a bow and send us off into to July, um, just, uh, just with a, a really great moment today, just talking about some deep stuff. So really excited about it. Um, I'll tell you, a, a long time ago, uh, when I was 10 years old, so a real long time ago, uh, I started bench pressing, which I know, that's hilarious. I, I was bench pressing at 10 years old. There's no sense to it other than that my dad was working out and like kids, you know, you just want to do whatever your dad's doing. And, and so we would jump on there and he, there'd be like 50 pounds on there. It's probably like all I weighed at that time. And so I just, I, I would, I'd be bench pressing this 50 pounds and, it, and then I got into high school and started working out and doing sports and like all you ever wanted to do in the gym at that point was to max out. Like that was the cool thing to do. Let's just max out. Let's just keep seeing how much we can do. So here I'm going to go squat 400 pounds when I only weigh like 140 pounds, um, and, and I messed my knees up immensely by doing that, but that was kind of the whole idea, it's all about maxing out, and then I got into college, and it was kind of tougher to work out, but did some different activities, and then got out of college, and it's like so hard to just kind of get in a routine, and, and one of the things I found out that was, you know, healthy for my body was to do circuit training, where I go in and do a little bit of everything, and just kind of make this circuit, to make sure my whole body's getting fit, and staying in shape, and so I think um, the thing we're going to talk about today in my, my summer, to end off this, uh, my summer body series is, is worship and, and this idea that, that worship isn't all about going in and maxing out these one times, which I think is how we often treat it. Like, oh, I, I just, I'm really going to worship today or like, can't wait to get my praise on or something today. And, and there's this idea that we just do it this one time a week, but really I think it's this idea of just everyday healthy circuit training of a daily walk with Christ is what worship is all about. And uh, as I, I was in high school, I, I started doing music. I started singing, playing guitar, and, and piano later on. And, and so I was really drawn to the idea of, of worship music uh, in particular. And so my, my entire understanding about worship was kind of framed around music. But I think it's important for us to understand um, is that worship music is only a vessel for true worship. And just because you're singing along with songs doesn't really mean that it's worship. And, and just because you like Christian music doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's worship. But worship is something that comes out of the heart of or it's really honoring God and longing to, to give Him glory with our lives. And so we're going to look at that a little bit deeper today. And um, again, worship music is just a vessel. And, and that may be great news for some of you who are tone deaf or at least um, your family tells you you are tone deaf. And so this will be encouraging because maybe you had trouble singing along with the melodies and you're like, how come I have trouble worshiping? And the truth of the matter is that all of us are worshipers. We're worshiping something. We're worshiping something in life. And we've got the things we worship. And so even if you're in this room and you say, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe in all this stuff, this is all a little bit weird to me. Like, let me just be real with you. You're a worshiper too. We're all worshiping something or someone, whether it's our family or our job or, 
or you know, our toys or, or uh, our, our workout routine, whatever we're worshiping, whatever we're focusing, we're all worshiping something. So let's dive into scripture, and we're going to dive into to just one of the most powerful texts. I just love this, and we're actually going to read a, a lot of it. We're going to read a lot of this text because I think it's really, really powerful. And it's John chapter 4, and we're going to find this story of this Samaritan woman um, that's quite incredible. And it, 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 I would normally just kind of like jump into just the main part of the text, verses 19 through 26 about is, is where we're going to kind of make our main text, but I know some of you have heard the story, many of you have not, and I just want to give the whole context, so if it feels like we're reading a lot today, you're right, we are reading a lot today, but I just love the context so much, so I want to, I want to work through it together. Uh, so let's start John chapter 4, this is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are known as the Gospels in the New Testament and, and John tells his not necessarily in a chronological order like Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And so it kind of has its own unique identity within the New Testament. So let's begin verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. I think it's so important to underline this kind of verse 4 here that says, now he had to go through Samaria. And, and you'll notice that uh, Judea and Galilee are, are kind of um, just one's north, one's south, and, and he's having to go go through Samaria. Samaria's kind of right in the middle, and um, I think for us to see that it is a straight shot to go through Samaria, so to say that he had to, but most scholars would tell us that though that was the, the quickest journey, it was not the safest journey. It was not the safest journey, but Jesus chose to do it anyway, rooted in his mission of what this, this passage will, will find is about. Um, the reason it was not a safe journey, because Samaritans and Jews had very intense cultural tensions. I mean, to the point that they, they hated each other and they called each other like rough, like curse words in their language of calling them basically dogs, which was extremely offensive, not like cute little puppy dogs, but like really offensive um, verbiage here from um, one another. Jacob's well was there, verse 6 says, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I, I love these moments where we not only realize that Jesus is fully um, God, he's fully divine, but he's also fully human and that he gets tired too when he walks. So that helps me just remember like, oh, Jesus got tired too. So I, I need to take a break, which is what we're going to look at in the month of July. But underline this, it was about noon because that's going to be in some important context here as we learn in verse 7 that there's another person Jesus is running into here at this well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Again, there's intense cultural um, differences here. And as if that is not enough in their, their races, that, that there's tension there. It's a man and a woman alone in public that are not married. And, and, and of all people... A, a rabbi to be seen in public with a woman and having this conversation alone is so, um, it's such like a, a cultural, um, just 
thing you didn't do, I don't even know the right word right now, but it's, it's something that you didn't do. It was just culturally taboo. Um, and so the Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? She's like recognizing this, she's like, I know, like this is not cool, like I could get in big trouble and like we could all kind of be in some trouble here and make a big stink about this if people find out. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he's totally weirding this woman out and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Sir, you've got nothing to draw with. She's stuck in the physical realm. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Uh, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love that idea of it's welling up. Like there's something stirring beneath the surface that Jesus is wanting to give this woman to uh, reveal himself that, that might kind of birthed something new inside this woman, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. Again, if you look back and remember that it was noon, and this is going to be important as as we see these next few verses here. It was noon, and, and again, she would have to make this long trek out in the middle of the desert, and women didn't go at noon. When they went to draw water, they went early in the morning and they went late in the day. They didn't go in the middle of the desert. It's like us. If we have to run errands, we don't want to do them in the middle of the hot day. We want to do them early in the morning, late in the day, where we're not sweating bullets to get out and walk into the post office. As if that's an errand that anybody runs anymore, post office. Um, Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but Jesus is just kind of saying, I want to I give you something, this, this living water. And he's kind of drawing her attention. Um, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, we find in verse 15. Have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Okay, so she had a wedding ring on. Where's Jesus getting this? Verse 17, she says, I have no husband. Jesus asked, go call your husband and come back. And she's like, I I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right, you don't have a husband. (laughs) He's like like kind of digging out something here. You're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Let's just stop there for a second. Again, she's been going out at midday, at noon, in the hottest part of the day, to draw water, making this long trek, when no one else would be there. She's a woman that's ashamed. She's a woman that, um, that feels ashamed of just the life she's lived and she's living now. And she doesn't want to be there when the other women are there. She goes out at noon. Interesting stuff here. And uh, I think what we'll find here in verse, um, verse 19, I can see that you're a prophet. So I think this is where all of us begin, is in this place that this woman begins. She begins in a place of sin and shame and I believe ignorance about the nature of God. And the word ignorance doesn't have to be offensive if you don't let it. I get around some of the military people or, or doctors or, or people in the police profession or really just any other profession. And I, I hear all these like numbers and letters and I don't understand a, a word of what people are saying. It's just like complete 
you know, uh, another language to me, and I'm ignorant about those type of things. And so I think this is where all of us begin, as with her, in a place of shame, in a place of sin, in a place of ignorance. Uh, and so I think it's important for us to understand that, that that's where every single one of us begin. And many times it's those things that keep us from worship when those are the things that should draw us to worship. And, and we'll, we'll work through this. But many times, because of our sin, because of the shame we feel, we'll push away and say, no, I'm, I'm not worthy to worship. I'm not worthy to do that. When that should just bring us to repentance, as I think we find um, in the Scriptures, I think we see it in Romans 3.23, that every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all start in this place, but that shouldn't keep us from worship. Um, and e- even though um, each one of us, you know, um, have sinned and fallen short, I-, I think Jesus says in another place, that's the whole purpose. He came um, is not for the healthy, but he came for the sick. He came for the healthy don't need a doctor, Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 5. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So as opposed to our sin, um, you know, pushing us away from worship, let it just call us to repentance. And that's what Jesus is all about. Uh, I love the passage in Romans that says there's no condemnation. There might be conviction for our sin, but there's not condemnation for our sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. So place yourself in Christ Jesus and and don't receive condemnation. So we all fall short and and we just allow that to to draw us closer. Uh, And our ignorance about the nature of who God is, this is another thing that kind of keeps us from worship when really it should draw him in. And let me give you one step to become less ignorant about who God is and, and have a better understanding of who God is. And I believe it's just the one step is seek him. And seek him. I, I think the scriptures are very clear. Um, when they said, Jesus said in Matthew 7 and on his Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Psalm 34 is one of my favorites. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Our, our worship will, will be continue to be shallow until we begin to seek him and have a real encounter of who Jesus is. It'll stay superficial. It'll stay religious. You can lift your hands, pray, and give money because someone asked you to. But re- really, it's about the heart is what we're going to find out here. And it's got to start with a an earnest longing of recognizing our sin and ignorance and just pressing in and seeking Him, knowing that God meets us there and He calls us to repentance. So let's go to verse 20. Go to verse 20 here. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. If I'm Jesus, I'm like, quit changing the subject. When do we start talking about mountains? We were talking about you. I mean, that's what I'm thinking here. If I'm Jesus at this point, but she's referring to this mountain called Mount Gerizim, which is where a Samaritan shrine was put up, and it was a place of of worship, an idol worship. And and Jesus is going to explain this and dig into this understanding here in just a second. Um. And again, she's kind of referring, this is what Samaritans do. This is what Jews tell us to do. Woman, Jesus replied, and it sounds kind of offensive the way Jesus says that, but this is very much a a term of respect. It's the same Greek word that he used to talk about his own mom. So it's with high respect here when he says, woman, um, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I think Jesus is saying worship is about to change. For some of us, this is where I think we get lost in the sauce, that worship is going to change. You see, from the very beginning, um, Jesus, I, I think it's been about relationship, but there's been a period that it was about sacrifice, and, and I, I don't have an, enough time to get into an entire message on the Jewish traditions of sacrifice and, and everything like that. Um, but certainly the, there's this period of, of animal sacrifice and, that has gone on, but Jesus, uh, that they had to, to do um, to, for repentance of sins and everything. But I think at, at this point, Jesus is pointing attention, like that's going to change because I'm going to become the sacrifice. And I think this is where I'll just settle in for a moment and say that worship is about sacrifice. And I think for many of us, we, we get that, but I don't think we get the depth of what that means. I think we say worship is sacrifice. Oh, that means I've got to sacrifice some of my money. I've got to sacrifice some of my time. And we always use the word some. And um, again, if... I were to take someone and just call them up here and say, hey, um, make me a peanut butter and jelly, right? And I give you the peanut butter, I give you the jelly, I give you the knife. You begin to make the sandwich. Then at the end of it, I say, can I have this sandwich? And I think there could be this dialogue back and forth of, oh, wait, you, you said I could have it. No, I said I want you to make it for me. I'm going to look to Romans 12, and I'll finish the illustration there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, will make this all clear about sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, this is Paul urging, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true in proper worship. I think the big thing to underline right now is in view of God's mercy. Again, going back to the peanut butter and jelly illustration here is that I've given you the peanut butter, I've given you the jelly, I've given you the bread to make the sandwich in view of that grace, in, in view of that gift. You offer your body as a sacrifice. It's freely given, it's not taken and so it's in, you wouldn't cut me off a piece and be like, yeah, man, here's a little piece. No, it would be offer the whole thing. And that's true and proper worship is, is a life of living sacrifice. And so many of us, our idea of worship is, is focused on style and not lifestyle. It is a constant habit in life of turning our affections and tension and glory and, and um, uh, energy towards the worship of, of God. Here's the thing. You're worshiping something already. Just are you worshiping the right thing? Are you worshiping the right one? So I, I think we've got to really begin to land in this place about what true worship is when in view of his mercy we give it Oh, I think true worship is saying, God, if you want me to build an ark out of this peanut butter and jelly, I'll do it. If you want me to feed the nations with the peanut butter, the jelly, and the, and the bread that you've given me, then I'll do it. If you want me to build a, a church with this knife, then I'll do it. I'll give you what you've given me back. And that is true and proper worship is the whole thing, and it's real a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem. It's about, worship is about sacrifice, but it's not all about your sacrifice. It's about first, in view of the mercy that he gave, the sacrifice that he will give, and he did give. It's about that. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. He's sort of insulting her, but he's calling her to the truth at this point. You worship what you don't know in this idol, this shrine on this mountain, but we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And I think from our current context, we can look at this and be like, Jesus is just kind of being aggressive towards this woman at this point. No, he's wanting to call her to the truth because she's worshiping an idol and she's got kind of a long history and he wants welling life uh, of eternal life to be flowing out of her living water. Where it won't be just this constant daily routine of avoiding everybody and this kind of um, shame that she lives with. God wants something new to start within her. And he wants to teach her about what real worship is. Here And I think what he's saying in verse 22 is that it's about personal relationship. You're worshiping what you don't know, and I'm calling you to worship what you, what you can know. And that's, that's about to, to become all the more intimate. You see, from the very beginning with Abraham, it was about relationship. Before there were rules, before there was sacrifice, God said, Abraham, I want to I be your God. I, I, want, I want you to be my people. I'm going to take care of you. Your people are going to be just a, a, as much as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. It's just going to be incredible. I want to be your God. Just will you, will you let me be your God? And they, began, they had this covenant. There was this covenant between God and Abraham on relationship first. And we, we think it's all about the rules and the religion and coming and doing, playing this game. But it's honestly, it's, it's about the relationship that started from the very beginning. That's why salvation is from the Jews. It started with the relationship there and it's continuing. Because just because you come to a church service doesn't make you a worshiper. Just because you go to a game doesn't make you make you a fan, or it doesn't put you definitely doesn't put you on the team. It's about personal relationship. Um, because I think as we grow in our knowledge and revelation of who God is, is that as we seek Him and that ignorance and and that life of sin is left behind, I think our knowledge and understanding and revelation about who God is grows. And with that, our love for God grows. Um, it's a worship is not only it's not only about the sacrifice that He gave, but He, he, he with the veil tearing, and there was a, a an interaction where worship changed, and it was a more intimate relationship than ever before. I think through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, uh, but for her, there's no personal relationship, and that's that's the life giving nature. And it's like you're here today, and, and you don't feel like a like you really have a spiritual life. You just have a religious routine. I think God wants to draw you into a spiritual life, a, a relational life with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and the question is, how can you worship something you don't know? It's about personal relationship. And worship gets deeper with time. It really does. I mean, it, people are, make this argument, oh, it's really about quality and not quantity. Or it's, it's really, I just want to get in there and sit for hours and hang out and like check my text messages and talk to God in between and like we we have this argument about quantity or quality and I think it's both like if you're gonna have a good relationship a good personal relationship based on of worship it's got to be both deep mature worship comes when no one's watching when maybe when everything else is going wrong and you still choose 
to worship. That is deep, mature worship when it's built on relationship. If it's not built on relationship, like when times get tough, like that'll be the first thing to go. Well, God's not, God's not working for me anymore. Things are getting tough. And like we've got to learn, we've got to become more mature to worship through the difficulties, worship through the stress of life. Um, just because you get busy doesn't mean God gets thrown off your plate. I, I mean, I think that's where you, you lean in even more to your personal relationship. Um, I think our, our worship is no longer dependent on music. It's no longer dependent on someone else leading us to the water, but the water, in fact, is inside of us. It is in our relationship um, with God. So let's continue on verse 23, and we're going to head toward a close here. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Man, have you ever wondered this? Like, I think as a kid, as I was kind of getting into worship music and just wanting to understand worship, I, I, this, was, this verse was huge for me. Like, okay, what are you, what are you looking for? God, I want to be what you're looking for. Please, like, help me understand that to, what it means to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, to be a true worshiper. And the Greek word alethinos that we see here, it means not only in name or in appearance, but in substance, full substance of a true worshiper. Man, some of us, just because it says Christian on your Facebook status or you post some verses or just because you tell everybody you're a Christian, like straight up, are you a Christian in substance? Are you a Christian in substance or just in name? And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to here. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Be a true worshiper. That It's not just on the outside, but from our spirit, from our relationship with God. And not in our own truth, but in the truth of who God is and what He is longing for. Just to be the kind that He's looking for. I think. So I think worship is not only about sacrifice and view of God's mercy. And us returning that, offering it back as a living sacrifice. Worship's about sacrifice. And I think it's made it, Christ made a way for it to be about relationship. Just no longer animal sacrifices, but it's a life-giving sacrifice. Where it's just about relationship. And then I think here Jesus is saying, it's about spirit and truth. Worship is about spirit and in truth. Not just from appearance, but in the truth of who you are and your being from your spirit is real worship going forward. Let's continue on and read here. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I, I love how she's kind of like nonchalant, it feels like. Yeah, when the Messiah comes, and I think maybe she's even putting this off, like, I get you're a prophet, but when the Messiah gets here, he'll explain everything to us. We'll figure this whole thing out. I think she's kind of putting things off, and it gets very real for her in this next verse. As Jesus says, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. I, I'm, I'm the Messiah, like, like, take off the blinders. And I think finally what I would say to us today is that worship is about revelation. Is that as we enter in on a daily basis, God is wanting to reveal himself, to um, draw us out of our sin, out of our ignorance, and reveal himself to us. 
and, and through musical worship as well in this, this deep interaction, but not on a style, but a lifestyle in which God is revealing himself on a daily basis to us. Worship is about revelation. I believe it is transformational. Some of the deepest moments in my Christian walk have been, have been times of musical worship. Um, and not when the music was going great or, or everything was clicking or I even was drawn to the style, but really sometimes when I wasn't drawn to the style, when I wasn't connecting, I, I searched deeper in my place of worship. Not when everything was going good, but really when everything was falling to pieces, those are the times that I pressed in and realized that um, uh, how to be a, a mature worshiper and a true worshiper, not just in appearance or in name, but in substance. I believe that revelation of who God is can transform individuals, it can transform families, it can transform communities, and I think that's what we see as this text plays out here. And so let's continue on past uh, verse 26. I, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Follow how this goes for these next 10 or 12 verses. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Again, the cultural aspect here. But no one asked, what do you want? What do you, and why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Could this be the Messiah? She left her water jar. I think there's something so symbolic that for us, like, it left life as usual and something had started inside of her as Christ revealed himself as Messiah. And she ran back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Jesus is going to take this opportunity to teach his disciples as well. It's not just about this journey. isn't just about this woman, but his disciples. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying that it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the, that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps. This is true. Um, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. We no longer believe because of what you said. But now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if life is falling apart or finally beginning to come back together. But here's what I do know. All of us start at this place of sin and ignorance just as this woman did. And all of us have fallen short. But that shouldn't keep us from worship. It should draw us 
to repentance and realize that we, we must seek Him and taste and see that He is good because worship is about sacrifice and view of the mercy that He's giving us, that He's revealed Himself to us. Worship is not just about animal sacrifice and this religious thing of which I just give all my stuff and do all of this. It's about personal relationship. It always has been and it always will be. And that's life-giving. He says that it shouldn't just be in deed or in, in, in name, but just in true substance to be a true worship. Worship is about spirit and truth. and God, it's, a, it's a journey of God revealing more and more. Worship is about revelation. And so I just want to make a challenge to you this week to worship in spirit and in truth. To worship not just in name or in deed, but worship with substance. Worship with what's really going on inside. Make it about relationship. If, if you have this urging to make it about religion, make it about relationship. That's my challenge. You make it about um, the relationship. View that, that sacrifice. And in view of that, offer your body as a living Sacrifice. I want to ask you to stand today and we're going to pray together. God, I thank you for this moment in time in which we get to look to the Holy Scriptures and allow you to reveal yourself once again fresh to us. The mercy that, that you gave at the cross, God, that you've given us everything. God, help that that perspective to change everything. As you, God, you plant inside of us living water, God, and you give us the, the bread of, of life, God, that, that there's food that people know nothing about. There's uh, energy and, and peace and health that comes from doing your will, God. Help us to lock into a personal relationship, God, that is unfolding and revealing who you are day by day. Help us to not just be in name or in deed, but God, help us to be true worshipers in substance, the kind that you are seeking after today. Christ, holy name. Amen.